Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello Bulls fans and welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ. Thank you for joining me again this week as we take you through the latest news, analysis and game action surrounding our Chicago Bulls. And I'll tell you what folks, I did not expect to be speaking to you so soon. We threw out a show for you guys on Sunday, well Sunday my time at least, following Larry Markman's return and all seemed pretty well in Bulls Nation. Obviously the Bulls had a loss but Larry was back, things were sort of trending up, Dunn and Portis are coming back just around the corner here. So I say I say well, but well, I guess, is a relative term here for the Chicago Bulls, given what has transpired over the last few hours. But man, whilst I expected Hoiberg to be fired at some point, I did not see this coming at all. And I say this because it was only yesterday that Joe Kelly of the Sun-Times and KC Johnson of the Chicago Tribune had stories out talking about the pressure being turned up on Hoiberg once the players had returned from injuries. So Larry was coming back. I just mentioned Dunn and Portis not too far far behind him in the next few weeks or so. So we knew he was going to be on a hot seat. And we knew before these stories were coming out anyway that that was probably going to be the case. But less than a day later, the Bulls have chosen to fire Fred Hoiberg after 23 games into this season. His fourth year in Chicago and obviously the second season of the rebuild. So... I didn't, like I said, I didn't see this coming at all. Maybe some of you guys did, but I didn't see this one coming at all. And obviously because of that, I didn't necessarily expect to be recording a podcast today. The Bulls aren't playing today, so I thought I was going to have a pretty quiet day on Twitter. Don't really have to talk Bulls at all, but here we are anyway, going through the, the Hoiberg firing and just trying to digest it all, trying to talk through it. So that's why I want to go through this on a podcast, want to share all my opinions, I also asked for some questions via a mailbag, so it's been a few weeks or months since I've last done a mailbag, so I thought it was an opportune time to do that now, gauge the temperature of the fan base post Fred Hoiberg's exit here. So I'll give you my thoughts on the whole Fred Hoiberg thing, I'll take you through your questions and I'll give you my answers to those, but like I said, I'm still digesting it, even though it's been hours after this whole thing. And I guess the reason why I'm being a little bit slow to digest it all is because let me paint you a picture here. So for me, obviously, if you have uh, if you haven't noticed before, but I'm obviously with my accent here from Australia and I'm, I'm not based in the US. I am actually based in Australia. So given that, time zones do apply. So, so painting a picture of basically how I came about this news, I have a bad habit of actually checking Twitter when I wake up during the night. So this news sort of filtered through at around 2 a.m. my time, but I happen to wake up for whatever reason during the night at about 3 a.m. my time. And like I said, I have a bad habit of checking Twitter. I checked my mentions and I saw a few tweets referencing Kirk Heinrich being the next Bulls coach. And I'm like, what the hell is all this about? So then I started going through my timeline and seeing what was going on. And that's where I found out that the Bulls had in fact fired Fred Hoiberg. And Obviously, once you sort of see that news, you, there's no chance I had any chance of going back to sleep at that point. There was, there's no way that was ever going to happen. So I've been up since about 3 a.m. my time and for the probably three to four hours thereafter, I was just in a bit of a haze and trying to di- digest it all, obviously reading and catching up on the timeline of tweets of all things that were transpiring, all opinions that were flooding through, but at the same time, sort of waiting for the Bulls to have their press conference 
that diet. Obviously, John Paxson spoke about the firing a little bit later on after practice. So I'll talk about that a little bit later on. So there was no chance me ever getting back to sleep here. So forgive me if this isn't the best uh, podcast you've heard going around because I am absolutely tired right now. And mind you, I've had to actually do my day job here as well. So I've tried to, I've obviously woken up quite a few hours before my uh, regular job. So I've had to squeeze that in there too. So it's been an eventful day for me, but forgive me if this isn't my best recording going around. But like I said, I did not see this coming at all. And to that point, it was only yesterday that I was sort of tweeting about Hoiberg's potential departure here in reference to Casey Johnson's article. So Casey was setting up the point that Hoiberg is going to be put on the hot seat or at least be evaluated over the next coming weeks or months once the players return from injury. And I look, that was obviously a fair position to take, I thought. Like I said before, we all knew Hoiberg was going to be on the hot seat. He probably wasn't going to last the season. So it wasn't a surprise to necessarily hear the Bulls to uh, hear the Bulls suggest that they wanted to evaluate Hoiberg over the next month or so. So that wasn't a surprise as such. But I, I had a bit of a tweet thread basically going over the fact that if the front office do elect to get rid of Hoiberg after they've done their evaluation, then how does that reflect on them? And I've always had a problem this season. There was always going to be the case that Fred was likely not going to remain beyond this season. So it's not a surprise from that sense. But I guess what's bothered me with throughout this whole thing is whilst I don't necessarily think Fred Hoiberg is a good coach, and I know I've defended him, and it comes across that I am actually a fan of Hoiberg or trying to defend him as a good coach, but... I just feel like this is going down the path where it typically was always going to be, where Fred Hoiberg is going to be made the scapegoat here, and the front office, as they typically tend to do, and have not really take much ownership on themselves in terms of what has sort of transpired here, not only this season, but over the last three and a half, four years since Hoiberg has been at the helm. So I want to go through all of that, and I guess that's probably the fundamental thing that still bothers me to today. Losing Hoiberg or, or opting to fire him today it's not a really big move. It's not a consequential move. It's one that's done on the periphery. It's not one that's going to necessarily change the landscape of the franchise that drastically. But I just have a hard time getting past what this means for the front office and the fact that they will be now most likely going to be hiring their fifth coach, assuming Jim Boylan, who will be taking over, not as an interim coach, as a full-time coach for this season. The front office, assuming they don't give the job to Boylan next season, will in fact be hiring their fifth coach, which to me, I understand that they haven't necessarily fired a coach after you know one or two seasons. They've let, they've let their guys sort of coach out for three or four years typically. But at the same time, how many coaches, how many roster iterations do you have to go through before there are changes made elsewhere within this franchise and not just players or coaches or anyone else? I'm talking obviously about the front office, but I don't expect that to be changing anytime soon. And I'm, I'm sure most would probably agree with that viewpoint. But thinking through this whole ordeal, I, I just don't know why the Bulls opted to do this now. It's not necessarily a secret that Fred Hoiberg isn't necessarily a good coach. That 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 criticism has been labelled against him for quite some time here. So it's not a new thing to be thinking that Hoiberg, one, isn't a good coach, and two, this may be his final season with the Bulls. So I just don't understand why do it now after 23 games. If you knew that he's not someone that who's necessarily galvanizes the locker room, hasn't necessarily developed the team, and isn't someone that sort of inspires his locker room and commands their respect or really drives spirit and passion, as, as John Paxson repeatedly mentioned today during his press conference, why do it now? Why not do it in the offseason? Why not do it halfway through the season? Why do it through 23 games when Hoiberg gets Larry Markkinen back for one game, hasn't even had a chance to play Dunn and Portis together, hasn't had a chance to play his entire core together? This this was meant to be his one chance here of having a roster that actually made sense to what he wanted to do offensively. But he doesn't even get that chance to sort of fulfill or at least try to see what he can do with his offense with these guys that supposedly fit what he wants to do. So I don't get that perspective at all. And I I guess what compounds that for me is Hoiberg had to put up with a lot of incompetent lineups throughout the years that he was sort of here with Chicago. I mean, the guy was brought here to instill his offensive vision to bring a modern NBA offense. And this front office group decided it was a good idea to bring in Rajon Rondo and Dwayne Wade to fit alongside Jimmy Butler and create this three alpha nonsense that had no chance of providing any sort of defense or outside shooting the modern NBA demands from its perimeter players. Yet somehow this is all on Hoiberg. 
That's what really bothers me in this case. And I think the Bulls, they owed Hoiberg at least a month of time here to see what he could do with Markkanen, to see what he could do with Levine and Wendell Carter using those two or two or three players in pick and roll action and then bringing back Dunn and Portis and seeing how it all molds together. The Bulls owed him that chance of at least allowing him to play the next four to six weeks with a team that sort of fit his ideals. And they couldn't even give him that. So that's what really bothers me about this whole thing. And if it after that six-week period, it proved that Hoiberg wasn't the man, then fine, you can fire him at that point. But to have reports come out that they're going to evaluate Hoiberg after a month or so, but now to fire him one day after marketing gets back from injury, I just I just find that really cold. And I don't, I don't think it's fair at all, even if Fred isn't a great coach. So that's what truly bothers me about this whole thing. And I guess the other thing that does bother me is how many times does this front office get a chance to hire their own coach? Like I said before, if Boylan gets hired as the the full-time coach beyond this season, that will be John Paxson's fifth hire as coach. And if they go otherwise, it will still be the fifth hire that he has sort of directly or indirectly been involved with hiring that coach. So at some point, the Bulls love to throw around the world accountability. But at what point does Paxson, Foreman, and the rest of the ownership team take some accountability on their end on this? Why do they get the chance here to hire another coach when Hoiberg didn't even get the chance to play this out to see how this course sort of fit together under his offensive system? I, I just think it reeks of nepotism. I hate the fact that he doesn't get the chance to do it. And I hate the fact that this front office group will get another chance to hire a coach to carry out their vision. And it doesn't look like anything in the front office is changing anytime soon. So moving along to Paxson's press conference today, which was, depending on your view, quite illuminating on on the things he sort of discussed. But one of the key points that he did mention is Gar Foreman will be remaining with the Bulls as general manager. He was asked the question, will Gar be remaining as part of the Bulls front office given that Hoiberg was his hire? And Paxson was unequivocal. He said Foreman will be remaining and if it was up to Paxson, he will be here for a long time. So there's no changes coming at all for this front office. Foreman is going to remain. Paxson ain't going anywhere. You can be sure that ownership is not going to allow that to happen. So there will be no changes up front at all or at the top rather for the Bulls. So that was quite illuminating. That was an interesting point that he did raise. But he also spoke about the fact that Hoiberg was effectively let go because this team lacked energy, they lacked passion, there's too many bad habits being formed and whilst I don't necessarily disagree with Paxson in that sense, I do disagree as to where these issues stem from and obviously Paxson is not going to be sharing the same views that I do on this particular issue but I think that stems from the type of players that the Bulls have brought in. They've got a lot of one-way players on this roster who don't typically play both sides of the ball well. They've got a lot of guys on this roster who don't have great basketball IQ. So I guess I'm just wondering what coach out there can bring this team out and play hard, play smart basketball every single night. I don't know if it's it's possible. Maybe it is. Maybe Jim Boylan extracts it out of this particular team. And if he does, credit to him for doing so. But I'm just of the opinion that this roster has too many flawed players on it and simply not enough leadership for this team to go out there and play hard every single night. And just to give you a few examples, how did the Bulls honestly expect someone like Zach Levine to necessarily run their entire offense? Obviously, Chris Dunn is out, so that makes things quite difficult. But beyond Dunn and Levine, this team doesn't really have anyone on the roster that can create consistently for others. Now, given you're building a franchise around two big men, a power forward in Maori Markkanen and a center in Wendell Carter Jr., how can you not have multiple playmakers, both in your starting unit and off the bench, that can help these guys develop? Zach Levine isn't a natural lead guard. He has a history of being ineffective in running offenses. That was the knock on him coming out of Minnesota. Yet the Bulls have sort of thrown the entire offense to him, have afforded him such a luxury in terms of the amount of possessions and shot attempts that he can sort of own for this team that he's currently top five in the league in usage. And knowing all the flaws he has as a creator, the Bulls are somehow expecting Zach Levine to run a decent offense out there, one that isn't stagnant, one that doesn't dive into isolation possessions quite frequently. I don't understand how they think that wasn't going to happen when that has always been the knock about Levine dating back to his days in Minnesota. Now, obviously, he's an improving player. He has shown glimpses here that he can be someone that can play make for others, but you're still asking a lot of Levine in that case. And I found it ironic that Paxson had the gall to mention the fact that this team is forming bad habits and not necessarily playing inspired basketball when 
Jabari Parker, a player obviously I've had an issue with ever since they signed, has a history of being a guy that doesn't necessarily have good habits on the basketball court. He's always been a problem defensively. That has been the case before he stepped foot in Chicago. It was a problem in Milwaukee, and it was always going to be the case for the Bulls. He's not a player that can play small forward. That's what the Bulls brought him here to do, and it was just never going to work. If you look at the point guard rotation at the moment, Hoiberg has sort of had to rely on Archie Diakono, a guy who only a year ago had come out of the G League as a two-way player and is now being lent on as a 40-minute-per-game player at point guard because Shaq Harrison and Cameron Payne are such poor options for Hoiberg off the bench that he has no other option but to play Archie Diakono such heavy minutes. So you can go up and down the roster. I, I can point to Antonio Blakeney. Has, is there is it possible for any coach at all to potentially coach out of Antonio Blakeney the fact that he never passes the ball? Is, is it possible to convince him that passing the ball is a good idea on the basketball court? I'm, I'm not necessarily sure. I think that's sort of in, just ingrained in the in the DNA of the type of player that Ant- Antonio Blakeney is. I'm not sure if that's on Hoiberg, but obviously that's clearly something that, the man, that management have, I guess, labeled or put onto him. But I completely, fundamentally disagree with that. And I think it comes down to the type of player they've targeted here more so than Hoiberg not being able to reinvent these players and make them something they're not. At some point, these players are who they are, and the knocks against them or the criticism that are labeled against them, they're not ones that have come out of nowhere. These are the issues that have followed these players throughout their career, and we're seeing it borne out on the court, particularly when you're a tanking team and don't have a lot of veteran presence out there. When you put it all together, it's going to be a giant mess, and that's exactly what we've seen from the Bulls this season. So I'm not surprised with how things have transpired. I am obviously not surprised that the Bulls have sort of taken umbrage with Freud, Fred Hoiberg here, but... I mean, it is what it is at this point, but shout out to Fred Hoiberg for being able to secure a five-year guaranteed deal from the Bulls. So unless Hoiberg gets a coaching job within the NBA next season, the Bulls will be paying out his contract next season to the tune of $5 million, whilst also paying out their next coach, whoever that happens to be, be it Jim Boylan, someone else, who knows what will happen between now and then. But the Bulls will be on the ticket there for paying out the remainder of Fred Hoiberg's contract, assuming he doesn't get another coaching job in the NBA, which probably doesn't look likely at this point, but who knows? Maybe the maybe the, the, the talk about the Minnesota Timberwolves being interested in Fred, maybe that heats up a little bit later on with maybe our old friend Tom Thibodeau being out the door soon. So outside of Hoiberg being fired, I thought that was actually probably the biggest takeaway from today's press conference, the fact that Paxson pretty much came out and said they want Boylan to be their coach, not only this season, but beyond and into next season. So that was an interesting takeaway. And obviously, uh, you know, you can be cynical and think the Fools are being cheap in this instance, that they don't necessarily want to pay uh, $5 million to Hoiberg and maybe another $5 million to get in another experiencing coach. Maybe they can just bring in Boylan and maybe up his salaries to two, three million dollars or something of that nature and have him be the the full-time head coach at that point. So I've got, I'm being cynical here and assuming this is a cheap move for them, but I also don't think it's a good strategic move. Why would you just sort of, after firing a coach, not test the market again and see who's out there? They didn't do that when they brought in Hoiberg last time around. Obviously, that didn't work out. They're not going to go out there and test the market now. And they look like they're pretty set on Jim Boylan here, which to me, may, it may eventually be the right deal. Maybe maybe Boylan is a great coach, one that's been in the waiting and comes from that San Antonio Spurs tree there. So maybe he is the right man for the job, but surely you have to do the due diligence of at least trying to play out the market and see what who, who may or may not be available. There could be a better coach available other than Jim Boylan, but it seems like the Bulls are going to stick with him for the moment, at least for this season, probably into next season too. But obviously, we'll see how that sort of transpires. But I'll move along here because I've been ranting long enough and I think I've made it pretty clear how I feel about this whole thing. So I'll move on to your questions and thank you to everyone that sent through some questions. So I'll get onto these now. And let's start with one that came in from Western Auburn on Twitter. He asks, was Hoiberg a lame duck coming into the season? The timing of this makes it seem like this was an inevitable event. And I definitely agree. Hoiberg was obviously a lame duck coming into this year. It was his fourth season of a five-year deal. We didn't necessarily expect him to remain beyond this season. It was, it was unlikely that he was going to. And the only reason that he would be doing so is if the ownership group didn't necessarily want to pay a coach out for for sitting around and doing not much. So that was the only, probably the only reason why Herbert Hoiberg was going to remain. So he, he was always going to be a lame duck coming into this season. And to your point there, 
it did seem this was inevitable, but I, I didn't see it coming this soon. I still probably haven't processed that fully at the moment, but I guess they've gone and done it. So, I mean, at least they've they've taken a direction. I guess if they, if we want to give them some credit here, they've they've worked out that Hoiberg isn't their man. They're not necessarily going to wait around. Like I said before, I question why why you do that now, not do it in the off season. But I guess they didn't want to necessarily play out the season, and they've, they've gone and done it now. So maybe we can give them some credit for doing that. But I mean, Hoiberg clearly wasn't Paxton guy. He was a lame duck coming into this season, and and it's obviously been proven that he was not going to be the man to take this team forward. So. That's that one. Next question comes in from at Obi-Wan Chicoli, and he asks about Jabari moving to the bench. So he notes that Fred was about to start Jabari at small forward. At least we were going to assume that with marketing coming back into the power forward position at some point. So Obi-Wan Chicoli wants to know, is this the breaking point? Was the decision to move Jabari into the small forward position the thing that expedited Hoiberg's firing? I probably don't think so. I think Paxson knew that he wanted to get rid of Hoiberg at some point, and I think he was probably just looking for the remote, the right moment to do it. And after a sixth consecutive loss, obviously going to 5-19 and 19 on the season, they probably felt now was as good a time as any just to get rid of him. I don't think... I don't think it was the case about moving around the pieces in the lineup. If that was the case, it's an extremely lame excuse. I, I would assume management would have had a major problem with Hoiberg benching Jabari at the start of the season if that were the case, but they let him sit, they let him play things out. Maybe it contributed, I'm not too sure, but I, I think it's more to do with the fact that Paxson just couldn't see this going forward with Hoiberg at all, more so than it had to do with any particular lineup changes that he had done or had planned on doing so. I don't necessarily think moving Jabari to small forward was the impetus for this decision at all. But moving on to the next question, this one comes in from at Jalen Chicago fan on Twitter. He asks, if players don't care about losing in the locker room, then why not get rid of the players instead of the coach? That's a fair question to ask. I mean, the Bulls are just engaging at the, the start of the rebuild here, so there probably was never going to be a chance where they would move on from any of these players, let's let's just call it Levine. If he's necessarily one who isn't uh, hurting from these losses, then they're not going to pull the trigger and trade Levine away at this point. Same thing with Jabari Parker. He's a recent free agent addition. If he, for whatever reason, isn't hurting in the locker room after these losses, as Paxson sort of suggested, then they're not going to deal away him just for simple PR reasons. The fact that they brought in that guy over the offseason, they've paid him $20 million. That's not going to be the case. So, I think in these situations, it's typical scapegoating where the coach is always the one to go first and more so than the players. It's been the case before in Chicago. It's been the case everywhere else. It will forever be the case in a league where players have far more control over a locker room than coaches probably ever will. And I think that's sort of slanting more in favor of the players as we go through this thing. They continuously get more control over how a franchise typically operates. So players were never going to get dealt in this situation. It was always going to be Hoiberg that fell on his sword if there was going to be anyone that was going to be gone this season. So whilst we can sit here and say that maybe some of these players who didn't necessarily hurt after these losses, maybe they should be the ones that have gone. I think it's probably a little bit too too complicated for that. And this is a player-driven league, so it was, that was never going to be the case, unfortunately. It was always going to be Hoiberg. So thanks for your question there, Jamie Lynn. The next one comes in from at Shy Sports Nerd, and he asks, what do you think of the Bulls already stating they want Boylan to be their coach beyond this season? Is there a reason the Bulls front office thinks so highly of him? So I, I guess, like I mentioned before, I think part of it is cost, as it typically is with the Bulls. They can probably keep Jim Boylan for a cheaper amount than what it would cost to go out there and hit the market and necessarily get a new coach and pay him a maybe a similar deal to what they gave Hoiberg back in the day when they gave Hoiberg that five-year $25 million deal. That's still probably the going rate for a lot of coaches out there. So it'll probably be cheaper for them to just give Jim Boyle in a bit of a pay increase, give him maybe a, a year or two here and there and give him the opportunity to coach his first team in the NBA. So... They've got leverage over him in that sense, so they can play the cheap route here and go for Jim Boylan because of that. But at the same time, like I said before, Boylan does come with some pedigree. He has a lot of coaching experience, much more coaching experience than Fred Hoiberg did before he entered the NBA. And obviously, he's part of that Spurs coaching tree, which I think still counts for something. And if the Bulls have been decent on any end of the floor during Hoiberg's tenure, it's typically been on defense. And with Boylan being the man that sort of headed up the defense, I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. And the Bulls have actually been surprisingly decent on 
defense this season. Obviously, they're not good, but compared to my expectations of where I thought they would be, they've been much better than what I thought they would be. So in that sense, I can sort of see why management have some faith in Boylan being the guy going forward. But at the same time, like I said before, I'm being cynical here. I think it's a cost-cutting move. I don't think they necessarily want to pay $5 million to Fred Hoiberg next season whilst having to pay another coach you know, let's just call it $5 million, having to pay $10 million for two coaches next season. I think the cheaper option here is to go the Jim Boylan route. And, and look, he may prove to be a good coach in time anyway. So I think that's why they've gone and done that. And as an extension to that question, at Chuckstein123 on Twitter asks, people are upset that they are anointing Boylan as head coach right away. Do you think any legitimate head coach would want to work for this front office? And it's an interesting question. My gut reaction is, no, why would anyone want to work for this front office? But at the same time, if you think about it, these guys are career coaches. They are trying to make it to the pinnacle here. There's only 30 jobs. If one of them comes available and happens to be a job in a big market like Chicago, they probably would take it regardless. Now, maybe you're not going to get a top-line coach like, I don't know, let's call it Rick Carlisle or Steve Kerr or someone of that nature. But for guys that are coming into the league that want to have their first go around, we saw it with Fred Hoiberg. We obviously saw it with Tom Thibodeau. Guys that haven't had that sort of opportunity before and then have suddenly presented, have gone through the interview process and have been given a chance to to coach a team like the Bulls. I think most times coaches aren't going to deny that opportunity. I, I don't think that would be a good look on their part. So whilst I think I want to say a lot of legitimate head coaches that would pass on the Bulls, I think in most cases these coaches would take the job just simply because of some supply-demand issues. There's just not enough NBA coaches coaching jobs out there. There might be two or three vacancies every off-season. So these guys, they want to snap up these jobs. That's what they're here to do. They're career coaches. They'll take a job if one is available. So I don't think it's a case of head coaches being scared away from the front of front office, maybe after a few years after working with them, but not initially if a job presents itself. Hopefully that answers your question there, Pat. But moving along to the next one, this one comes in from AC at Crest on my chest on Twitter. He asks, what are the chances Hoiberg goes somewhere else, actually gets to run his offense and flourishes? I think it's possible. I think it's in play. It probably won't happen next season. I think it's more likely that if he wants to remain in the NBA, it'll be as an assistant coach. Maybe if he wants a head coaching job, he will have to go back to the college ranks. But I don't think it's going to be in the NBA straight away. I think they'll need some time to sort of re- rehabilitate his image, maybe change the perception around him, because this hasn't necessarily reflected on Hoiberg too well here. But I don't think he'll get a head coaching job straight away. I think he has an assistant coach's job if he wants one. He could certainly go back to an NBA front office if he chooses to go down that route. But like I said before, he also has the coaching avenue too. So I don't think there's a chance that he'll be going back to an NBA as a head coach anytime soon. But but at the same time, I mean, Vinny Del Negro got a second head coaching job, so anything's possible, I guess. Maybe that's in play here for Hoiberg, but we, we shall see. Moving on to the next set of questions, I'm going to sort of consolidate the next three because they're similar. So these ones come in from at Kevin Pandawong, at Hopthow, and at Brendan Ackerfield. So they're asking questions in relation to the front office and the perception that this sort of firing has on the balls and what this means for big time free agents and potential other coaches that may want to potentially sign with the Bulls. Has this negatively affected the way the Bulls are sort of perceived here? And and Brendan sort of mentions Derek Rose's comments the other day where he I don't think he meant to let it slip, but he basically was essentially pointing out how much he's enjoying his time in Minnesota and how much he doesn't necessarily have to deal with the drama in Chicago, which included, and he put it on record, not having to deal with the Bulls front office. So I think there's already a perception out there that players don't really want to be dealing with this front office. So I don't know if this issue here with this specific firing of Fred Hoiberg has necessarily altered that any worse than what it already is. I don't think that's changed, but... I don't know how we can sit here and say that the Bulls probably have a good perception around the league with free agents. After dealing Jimmy Butler and hitting a rebuild, free agents typically don't want to come to a rebuilding situation. But beyond that, taking in all the drama that sort of surrounded the franchise over the years, it's probably even more of a reason for free agents to avoid the Bulls. And I guess it's crazy that you hear that that Kevin Durant is almost linked to the New York Knicks, but he doesn't. You don't necessarily hear those rumors at all about Durant to Chicago, even though Chicago is a big market. They obviously have a gaping hole at small forward, which which Durant could obviously slide into pretty comfortably. But you don't hear any of these big free agents being linked to the Bulls at all. 
obviously they've gone through a rebuild, but we, we keep hearing their nicks with these free agents, but you never hear about it with the Bulls. So I think their perception around the league has already taken a hit, but I don't think it necessarily relates to this specific issue here. I don't think it's helped it, but I, I, I also don't think it's necessarily made it any worse. I think Hoiberg, like I said before, it's probably not a great coach, probably one that doesn't have a ton of respect around the league. And I don't think free agents are necessarily going to be concerned too much with Hoiberg being fired or, or anything of that nature. I think it's more so the constant drama, the fact that this front office remains in charge for 15, 16 years. It doesn't look like that's going to be changing. And that ownership often takes the side of management, not necessarily the players. I think they're more the reasons why free agents are not necessarily going to want to come here to Chicago. But like I said before, I don't think that perception or existed prior to today. And I think it's a perception that's going to linger here for a little while longer. But maybe I'm wrong. I'm Hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully the Bulls can pull through a big time free agent because I, we know they love to play the free agency game. They're going to have a lot of cap space here in 2019. So it would be nice if they could bring in someone like Kevin Durant. But I don't think there's any chance at all in that happening. So thanks for those questions, Kevin, Hopthow, and Brendan. I really do appreciate those ones. The next one comes in from Reese Smith on Twitter. He asks, I truly believe this year has been a low-key tank move from the front of us, unless they are really just bad. Like, what did they expect signing G League players as backups? Hoiberg wasn't the guy, but 20 games in, into the season just seems odd. Do the Bulls win 30 games this season? Now, I guess taking it from the top, I, I don't think the Bulls were trying to tank. If we're to take Paxson on his word, and he's typically... A pretty straight shooter in that sense. And I think that's one thing I do appreciate about Paxson, that what he's generally thinking, he generally says. So I do appreciate that more so than what we necessarily got out of Gar, who was quite cagey and didn't necessarily give you what he truly felt. That's not the case with Paxson. He lets it be known what he's thinking. And if we're to take him on his words, he's made it very clear that the Bulls weren't going to do what they did last season, which was tank. And I have no reason to go against his thinking in that nature that the Bulls were potentially planning a stealth tank here. I don't think that's the case. I think it's more so this team just had a, such a small margin for error that losing four players in the quick succession that they did, that's going to really impact your rotation. And as he sort of alluded to there, Reese, this team has a lot of G League talent on it. We talked about Archer Diakono. We talked about Antonio Blakeney. But even Chandler Hutchinson, he's not really ready for regular minutes at the moment. Cameron Payne's probably not in the NBA next season. You can't necessarily guarantee Shaq Harrison is going to be in the NBA next season. If Felicio didn't have two two more years on his deal to the tune of around $15.5 million over those two years, Felicio's probably not in the NBA. So you're definitely right in suggesting that there's a lot of players on this roster who aren't ready to go at an NBA level, are more G League type players. But I don't think the Bulls were necessarily thinking that this is going to be a stealth tank of sorts. I just don't think this roster was fully equipped to sort of handle any potential injuries. And that's why I think there was such a small margin for error. And it just happened to be the case that these sort of injuries all happened at the same time. So it's unfortunate. And maybe that sort of expedited Hoiberg's exit here. But it is what it is at this point, but I do think this is a flawed roster, one that never really had a chance to win a lot of games. I think I went on record and said that the Bulls would win 32 games this season, and whilst obviously injuries typically play a part in that, I didn't obviously expect this amount of injuries, so I don't think they're going to get to 32 games. I don't think they're going to win 30 games this season. Maybe they can get to 25 wins and finish the year with a top two, top three, maybe top four pick, but I definitely don't think that was part of the plan. I don't think that's in Paxson's DNA to be uncompetitive like they were towards the back end of the year two years in a row. And I think there was just too many agendas on this roster with, with guys trying to go out there and actually win games. We've talked about Zach Levine being an improving player over the last few podcasts. I think Jabari Park is playing for a new deal. Bobby Portis has been playing for, obviously going to be playing for a new deal. Larry Markman's coming in for his second year. Wendell Carter Jr. is a rookie trying to make an impact. So there's just a lot of agendas here in terms of the team not wanting to lose. So I don't think that was ever going to be the case. So I don't necessarily buy into the fact that the Bulls were stealth tanking. I think it's just been an unfortunate case that things, things have gone to crap. And unfortunately for the Bulls and particularly Hoiberg, it's happened quite fast. So thanks for your question there, Reese. The final one that I got is actually one that's come through from at junior underscore Q. And he asks, we're all pissed. So here's something a little bit lighter. Has your personal opinion slash feeling about a coach or player ever clouded your judgment? 
Now, at junior underscore Q, I'm not sure how long you've been listening to this podcast for or if you've followed me online, but of course it has. I mean, you only have to listen to me speak about Ryan Archer Diakono or Kirk Heinrich or Taj Gibson or someone like that, someone that I have a deep affinity for. And obviously, those kinds of players have typically clouded my judgment. I am somewhat biased against those guys, I think it's fair to say. And I know I come off like a bit of a Fred Hoiberg defender here, and it definitely will sound that way listening back to this podcast, I'm sure, but it's not necessarily me defending Hoiberg because I think he's good. It's more reacting to the front front office and my level of disdain that I have for them at the moment. So to answer your question, has my judgment ever been clouded because of a feeling for a particular player or coach? Definitely. It happens on the daily basis. I can assure you that as it happens for pretty much everyone. That's the point of being a fan. There's no objective nature in being a fan. We're all subjective. We all have our guys, and that's certainly the case for me. So I'm not alone in that fact, but yeah, I definitely have had my my judgment clouded because of players that I've enjoyed over the period. And I can definitely tell you the man that's joining me on the phone now to join the podcast has certainly had his opinion clouded over the years. We've definitely gotten into it over the years too, and I'm sure we're going to get into it now about this Fred Hoiberg situation. I'm talking about Fred Pfeiffer, otherwise known as C-Red Fred. He's dialing in and I'm bringing him onto the show. Fred, I'm tipping the way you reacted to this news is a lot differently to the way I took it. Well, I'm shocked that you took it poorly. Poorly? I, mean, I think I think you were in agreement, right? I, I know you were a, one of the few Hoiberg defenders, but I think big picture we would both agree we're not winning a title with Fred Hoiberg as coach. And so, although I know I was far more critical of him, and I, I think there were valid reasons for it, which I'll expound upon shortly, I'm a little shocked at the reaction in the general defense of Fred Hoiberg, and I'm sure it's primarily not due to a love of Fred Hoiberg, but more due to a, 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 a white-hot hatred for uh, John Paxson and Gar Foreman. What say you? <sighs> My initial thought, whenever. When we've been discussing this online prior to this catch up here, is I just, I just wonder if there's anything John Paxson can do that will uh, ultimately ever make you test your faith in the man. Well, I brought this up today. I don't know if you heard this on Waddle and Sylvie. Yeah, I heard you. But I was looking. I was looking. I think it's. A, I think it's a valid, good point to make. And I know there's going to be a lot of eye rolling as I uh, elaborate on this. But there's been three teams in the last eleven years that have drafted uh, not all stars but all, all NBA, all NBA players, you know, one of the top 15 in the league. That's Oklahoma City, it's Golden State, and that's the Chicago Bulls. And the only difference between Oklahoma State and Golden State, Oklahoma City and Golden State and the Bulls is that two out of our three uh, basically devolved into minimum contract players within a three- or four-year period, whereas Oklahoma City, Harden, Durant, and Westbrook, obviously they broke up, but those guys still remain great. Thompson, um, Thompson, Curry, and Green still remain great. But our three that were all NBA, two of them first team and Noah and Rose, and then obviously Butler, two of the three devolved. And there's a lot of anger and a lot of disappointment, and it's all understandable. But I think what's the most important thing in turning this around is how good is this front office at evaluating talent? How good are they at drafting? And I don't even think it's an argument anymore. I mean, you could point out to whatever front office is always going to have bad drafts. But when it comes down to top 10, that's where you have to be rock solid. And the last four is Wendell Carter Jr., Laurie Markinen, Derek Rose, and uh, Jakeem Noah. Can't do much better than that. What say you? Well, I mean, look, Paxson deserves credit for things that he did five, 10 years ago, even deserves credit for the Larry Markin and, and Wendell Carter drafting, but that doesn't absolve him for all these other bad decisions. And today, he pretty much on record, even though we've been saying that the hiring of Fred Hoiberg was a guard decision, it was Gar's guy, Paxson took ownership of that decision. So I want to hear from you about that. What, why, if you thought Fred was such a failure, why are you not being critical of, of John Paxson for signing off on the move that was initially to bring on Fred Hoiberg? No, I heard I heard him today, and and he took responsibility for it. And there is absolutely some responsibility for John Paxson. He is the head of the ship, um, and, and there's some responsibility on his part for the hiring of Fred Hoiberg. But Fred Hoiberg was never uh, a priority for John Paxson. That was, that was Gar Foreman's man. That was his choice. That's who we wanted. That's who we talked about for years. I heard Nick Friedle talk about this today. 
And bringing in John Paxson, uh, Gar Foreman felt was going to change everything. He was going to be the Steve Kerr 2.0. Well, it failed miserably, and in, in, in the signs were apparent in year one. And after year one, I don't think Pax was ever really on board with that. And he had a con- the way things are run for the, in the Chicago Bulls front office is there's the two Reinsdorfs, and there's Gar, and there's Pax. Now Pax is, you know, in in the figurehead, he's the leader without a doubt. Um, he's, he's heading that, that unit and he's on bears responsibility for what happened, but I don't ever, I don't think that was his really his, if you really got down to it, I think that was much more of a form and pick. Now today he stood up and he took responsibility for it and again, rightly so, but I did like in the statement, you saw it in the statement, how many times he said, I, I, after, after a thorough evaluation, this is a quote from the statement, I elected to make this move. As a team, I believe it is imperative that we make unfaltering strides. So, in general, when Paxson takes this, the reins, I think that's good. When, when Gars takes the reins, I think that's bad. There's a difference between the two. We want to lump them together, but I think in general, over the past you know, 15 years of their reign, when Paxson's leading the ship, we're going to have good results. And when Gar takes control things get a little bit off course. Do you disagree? Don't you think that's part of the problem, though, that one, we can't necessarily discern who's making what decision at what time? And if we can, and we can assume this Hoiberg hiring was on Gar Foreman, isn't that an indictment on Paxson for allowing that to sort of happen at that point and now stepping in and saying, hang on, I'm going to make the decision. This is what I want to do. It's definitely, I think what happened was Pax wanted out at some point. I think that was right around, just after 2012 or 2013, I can't remember the exact time, but he definitely did not want to, uh, from what I understand, Reinsdorf had to convince him to stay. He wanted out of the job at some point, just it was too hard on him and his family. And I think at that time, he deferred a lot to, to Gar Foreman. And, and for whatever reason, he seems to believe that Gar's doing a good job. And I don't know. I, I don't know the how much Gar, what's Gar responsible for. I really don't. I, I don't understand... All I do, I know the results. And overall, I think the front office has drafted very well in the last, in, in, their, in their tenure. They've had mistakes as every front office does. But if you ask me, do I have faith that this ship is going to be righted? Yeah. I mean, today you're listening to the radio and even you, Mark, I know deep down you got to feel this way. I'm listening to the radio and listening to people that jump, want to jump off a bus because we fired Fred Hoiberg. Like, what, why step back for a second and look at the situation and acting like this is 2000. And I brought this up a bottle and Sylvie, like they're talking like we have these guys out there shooting 10% like they were in 10,000 in 2000 in warmups with, you know, guys just Marcus Pfizer and just a horrible team. When I look out in the court, I see a good team. I see the, the, the core of what I think could be a good team. Obviously, the results aren't there, but Larry Markin and Wendell Carter Jr. and Levine, you're just as excited as I am. Are you not? Yeah, and I gave I gave Paxson, and assuming he was the one behind those decisions, which, again, we don't know who made the call, but I gave him credit, and I will give him endless credit for bringing in Larry Markman and Wendell Carter Jr. I'm happy to give him credit where credit is due, but I don't necessarily think we should just give him a pass for everything, given that he's been here for 15, now going on 16 years. And I'm wondering, how many coaches does this guy get to pick over that reign? All right, let's talk about the coaches, because I think he's done a great job. His first hire was Scott Skiles. Fantastic hire. I love Scott Skiles, and I thought that was a great pick for where we were at that time. The next choice that he had was not Vinny Del Negro. It was actually Mike D'Antoni, and it was Nick's by ownership. His second choice was Doug Collins. In my opinion, another great choice, Nick's by ownership. Now, when you get down to the third choice, I don't care what GM you are, that's not always going to be a great pick. So he got stuck with Vinny Del Negro. And whatever we say about Vinny Del Negro, the team didn't have a losing record under Vinny. We were 500 both years, and some of the players progressed pretty well. Taj was first team all rookie. I saw growth from Rose. But I agree, he was not a good choice. But again, that was his third pick. And I thought the first two were great. Then we go to Tom Thibodeau. You're a big fan. A lot of most of Bulls Nation's a big fan. I liked everything about Tom, but his insanity with the minutes. And I think that was a fireable offense. Others disagree. When it gets when you get down to it, there were a ton of things I liked about Thibodeau, his sideline demeanor, his discipline. I loved a lot about it. But 
it's inexcusable what he did with some of the minutes to some of those major players, and he cut their careers short. So he was let go. When you get down to it, that was the heart of the problem between the front office and Tom Thibodeau was the issue over minutes. And I don't care what anybody says, the front office was right in that decision. They were right trying to get a handle on this guy, and he complained that he, they were meddling. F- fine, let's not get into that. But if you look in retrospect, and then their next choice was Fred Ho- was Fred Hoiberg or Gar's choice. Regardless, Paxson signed off on the decision. That's who we went with. It was not good. The results were not good. They thought they were getting a good offensive coach. And I agree with everybody today who's upset about the situation. And I will say that if this does, if this run does not end in a title or a contender, then I'm on board with you guys. It's time for him to go. And I say that by, you know, 2021, 2022, if we're not competing, we don't have a contender. It's time for these guys to go. I will be the first to say that, but I do feel this team was robbed of, of a, of a title due to injuries. And I thought they did as good of a, po- a job as you could possibly do in, in a, in a quick period of time in trying to rebuild this team. It was a very difficult situation. You had two long-term contracts and no one rose and they declined so badly. We've gone over this ad nauseum, but you can't just turn it around within a year and they're doing a pretty good job of it. I think the team is turned around. I mean, it's hard to see now with all the injuries and all how, how bad, poorly we started out, but I do feel there is the core of a title contender here in just Laurie Markin and Levine and Wendell Carter Jr. I could be wrong. Those guys may not grow into greatness, but uh, I do feel that the talent is good enough right now around with those three as the core and making some good signings going forward to have a title contender. Well, but let- you disagree. I do disagree, but I don't want to labor on that point because, like you said, we've discussed it endlessly before. But let's talk about Jim Boylan then. What 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 is it about him that is suddenly going to make this team bring out some passion and bring out the spirit that supposedly Fred Hoiberg didn't bring to the table and that was a problem? Well, that was the main problem, I guess, for Paxton to make this move now. And So, two-part question. Why, why is, is Jim Boylan going to bring that out of this team and out of these players who I question have that within them anyway? And if Hoiberg wasn't the man to take the balls forward, why did the firing have to happen now of all time? If we knew Hoiberg wasn't necessarily the man to take this team forward, why not do it in the offseason? Why do it 23 games into the season, one game after Larry Markkinen has returned and before Chris Dunn is even back? Well, let's get to the latter point you just made. Pax addressed that. He said that they're obviously going to play better now that they're bringing Markkinen back that Dunn's coming back, that Porus will be back. And he says that would just, and they will play better. He alluded to that fact and said, and he's right, that still would just mask the problem. This team lost its spirit. It lost its, it lost its intensity. It lost its energy. And I agree with it. And, there's, and I think there's valid reasons why that happened. You know, kind of like when, you, let's look at some of those reasons. I'll elaborate on those. Saturday, Larry Markinen doesn't start. We talked about this in our podcast. Why would you not start marketing at, on Saturday? You need to build chemistry with your top three. That's our only goal going forward. Lori Markinen, Wendell Carter Jr., and uh, Levine need to play as much as possible together. Why the heck are, is Lori Markinen finishing up the game with campaign and Shaq Harrison? It's so unbelievably stupid, and I think that was the final straw for Paxson. I think there was a reason why on Sunday he said, time for him to go. Uh, you may differ, but I, I, I just was shocked that Markinen did not start. And I think if he's healthy enough to play, he's healthy enough to start. Dumb move. And, you know, that move's just it. You lose energy also when, uh, you're, you're, if, when your young team is continually the target of poor, ridiculous rookie calls that can sap energy, and you refuse to pick up a technical or even yell at officials when your young team is, conti- is continually suffering like that. And you know what? I went to a game in April last year. When the Bulls beat the Wizards, the tanking Bulls in April, nobody was paying attention. And I was at that game, and it was a game that Fred Hoiberg wasn't coaching. It was Jim Boylan. And that was the first thing I told my wife and kids is I said, look at the difference in the demeanor of this guy on the sideline, how he was acting. It was a lot more Thibodeau-esque. He was a lot more more shouting, a lot more aggressive, roaming the sidelines. You're going to see that. And I think that does sometimes affect the team. I really believe that. I've seen that in my when I played. There's just some guys, Mark, that are, are leaders of men, and there's some guys that aren't. 
if you're timid, I mean, you can get away with it if you're Brad Stevens and you're that smart. He's one of the few guys, though, that I, th- I think about when I think about the best coaches in the NBA, the best coaches that I had. Very, very few were cerebral, quiet types. Most of them were a lot more Thibodeau-esque in their demeanor, uh, demanding greatness, a lot more yelling <laughs> at me and the officials, a lot more demanding a lot more asking for you to be the best that you can be, that kind of stuff. I think Boylan is definitely has more of that than Fred does. That's just not who Fred is. Uh, so I, I, I completely understand the decision now. I'm fine with giving Boylan the opportunity. And I will say, too, if Boylan doesn't work out in, in over the course of the next year and a half, well, then I don't think they should be allowed to maybe get another coach shirt, coach and pick another coach, unless it's one of the Collins. Doug or Chris, because they're already kind of in the house. But I, I don't. I, I agree with a lot of people who say this is it. You know, this is their last chance. No, I'm that's good. I want to. I'm glad you got that on record because I, I think that would surprise a lot of people to hear you say that. So it's good to hear you obviously say that. But final question before I let you get away. I know you've had an opinion over the summer coming into this season that you wanted to see. Well, this would probably be Hoiberg's last season, and then you wanted to see how he coached up this team once or with with the entire core intact so how do you feel about the management deciding to get rid of Hoiberg without him having the opportunity to finally get to coach an offense which made sense with his offensive style I made this case and I I know you jumped on me for it on Twitter and maybe I did a, a poor job of elaborating on it but the team right now if you said Levine was healthy Parker's healthy Blake and E what what's more likely that the team is poor, worse than the league offensively or worse than the league defensively. I would say, based on the fact that Parker and Levine are healthy, I'd say they had a better chance of be, be, being better offensively than defensively. Yet this team is 20th in the league in defensive efficiency. With the talent that's playing, without Chris Dunn playing, playing or Chris Dunn playing one game this year, that's a minor miracle. And I think that that's not a reflection on Fred. That's a reflection on Boylan. Yet our offense is 29 or 30th, according to Hollinger, in offensive ratings. Even Levine playing so well offensively. You know, Where's the miracle on the offensive end? There never is a miracle. There's always an excuse. And I know you guys like to throw out, well, we don't have the, we don't have the talent. He never was given the talent for his system. Hold on a second. His first year as a, as a coach on his team, he had Butler, Gasol, Rose, Taj Gibson, Nico Miritich, Doug McDermott, Mike Dunleavy, Joakim Noah, Etwan Moore, Tony Snell, Justin Holiday, Bobby Portis, Aaron Brooks, and Kirk Heinrich. Don't give me he didn't have any talent. You should have made something with that team a little bit better than 42 and 40. And I know there were a ton of injuries. And I, I know Dunleavy didn't play a lot of games. And I know, you know, we had Noah getting hurt, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't want to hear this nonsense that he never had any talent. The next year, yeah, it's not great, but great coaches make the most of their talent. They don't make the players adapt to their system. I don't buy that, that he never had any talent. And for the fourth straight year, we're in the bottom half of uh, a, a team's offensive efficiency. This guy's supposed to be an offensive grower, Mark. Why, why is it always excuses for, for, for Fred Hoiberg instead of, well, you know what? He has sometimes had talent. All those guys that he had in 2015-16, a lot of those guys are still in the NBA. I all I ever hear you guys talk about is how great Etwan Moore is, or Nico Miritich is, or Taj Gibson. All those guys played that year. Etwan Moore played 59 games. Nico played 66 games. Taj played 73. Gasol played 72. All those guys are still in the league. Let's not act like he was given a roster of nothing. What say you? <laughs> I'm not necessarily acting like he was giving a roster of nothing, but if we're focusing on his first season in here when he came into Chicago, that was clearly a dysfunctional team. Things were already on the way out with Tom Thibodeau. They obviously replaced Tibbs, they brought in Hoiberg, and clearly there was just things going on within that locker room that not no one could fix, probably not even Thibodeau. So whilst I agree he had talent that year, I think there were some other issues going on within the within that franchise that sort of precluded the team from playing at its peak level. We're sort of seeing that now with the Boston Celtics a bit. They clearly haven't not haven't played to their, their p- p- potential. And obviously things are going on there that are, are limiting whatever they're doing. And that's probably more locker room related than on-court product. 
and on-court talent. So I wonder if there's parallels between there, but I get what you're saying. But at the same time, if we're saying that for this season here, that Hoiberg had to be evaluated based on him producing or running an offense through the main guys and then being fired one game after marketing gets back, I think that's just inconsistent messaging. Can we give you just a few more questions before we wrap this up? I want to throw them at you. Would you uh, concur that you think the team being 20th in defensive efficiency is a bigger surprise than if they were 20th in offensive efficiency? Like, isn't that a greater accomplishment based on the talent? Defensively, yes. I think that is a great accomplishment given my expectations of them. But given the amount of offensive talent that they have on the sidelines right now, I'm not surprised at all that they're towards the bottom of the league in offense. Maybe I'm just saying, I think there's far more offensive talent than defensive talent on this roster with the injuries. That's my point. Uh, And the performance of the offense is far worse than the defense. So I'm making you head coach. It sounds like you, and and I'm going to hire you. I I bought the team. I'm hiring you as vice president of operations. Do you keep Hoiberg to the end of this year? I would have either gotten rid of Hoiberg at, in the offseason if I was convinced that he wasn't the man. And if it, if it takes 23 games for you to convince that, then to be convinced of that rather, then I don't necessarily think Paxson was enamored with Hoiberg anyway. So why not get rid of him in the offseason? So if I am in Paxson's shoes, I'm either giving him the next four to five weeks to see how he goes with Markkinen, to see how he goes with Dunn and Portis back with Levine, see how that experiment unfolds. Or I would have got rid of him in the offseason. The Bulls are clearly going to be paying his salary next season, so it wasn't a situation of they're not willing to necessarily pay his deal out. That's We can rule that out. Obviously going to be doing that for next season. So if that's the case, and they didn't necessarily want Hoiberg around, why not just get rid of him in the offseason, the one that's gone past? I don't get that part. Well, that's what I'm asking you, though. Would you have got... Do you, Mark, believe that he was the answer long-term? I don't believe he was the answer long-term, but I don't believe getting rid of him after game 23, one game after Malkinen had sort of returned from injury, was the answer either. I think that So you would have kept him to the end of the year? I would have potentially kept him to the end of the year, but I would have kept him for the next six weeks at least and evaluate him based on that, as KC Johnson reported the Bulls were going to. But then obviously 24 hours later, here they are. They fired Fred Hoiberg. So <laughs> I've, yeah. I don't know what the hell was now meant to be doing. Clearly, Casey Johnson and even Joe Kelly had those pieces written up. I don't know what changed in 24 hours. If anything, maybe it was old news, but something had changed and it obviously swung the balls to the point where they decided to get rid of Fred Hoiberg. With Fred, I knew you were going to have a different view to me and that's why I love having you on. It's always good to get your side of the story. Thanks for jumping on, mate, and we'll speak again very soon. Sounds good, brother. You're a rising star, I must admit. I can see you're uh, getting a lot more pub and it's well-deserved. You put a lot of effort into it. And although I disagree with about 95% of what you say, you make the best arguments possible for a lot of wrong positions. Well, I'll take that backhanded compliment, friend, and um, I appreciate it. <laughs> take right. it easy, man. See you, mate. Have a good night. Ah, oh, Fred, I knew you'd come at it from a different angle. That's exactly why I wanted to get him on, to get a viewpoint from the other side of things. It's always good to challenge your own thinking and... Fred, Fred definitely is a is a, is a definitely a challenge. I'll, I'll put it that way. But I appreciate you guys listening into myself, listening to Fred going back and forth here about the Hoiberg firing. It's one of those emotive topics that I'll be raging on for the rest of the week. And like I said before, I didn't necessarily expect to be recording a show, but it is what it is. The Bulls have fired Fred Hoiberg. I've made my feelings felt about it. Obviously, Fred's jumped on the line and and shared his thoughts too, but. What matters now is what's to come with Jim Boylan at the helm. We'll see what he's able to do with Lowry Markin and Zach Levine, Wendell Carter Jr. and Chris Dunn when he gets back from injury. Maybe the Bulls play better. Hopefully they do, but we shall see. Time will tell. But if nothing else, it's going to be an interesting couple of weeks of Bulls basketball, as it typically always is with this franchise. There's always a bit of drama or a storyline going around. And this one just happens to be at the top of the agenda at the moment. So let's see how it all transpires. I'm sure once we learn more about Jim Boylan and how we see these games play out, I'll be back again to wrap up how the Jim Boylan era has kicked off, how the Bulls have fared in the next few games. So be on the lookout for the next episode of Bulls HQ. Hopefully I don't have to do another emergency podcast with any other crazy news that sort of filters through between now and the next few games. So until next time, this has been Bulls HQ. I appreciate you listening and I'll speak to you all again very shortly.
Amira Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.